You guys ready to go tonight? How many of you guys enjoy the movie Braveheart? It's a good movie. I kind of feel like uh, right before they're ready for their first battle, I kind of feel like a William Wallace uh, tonight. And uh, you'll uh, see why as we get going. But um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm anxious for tonight. Um, in all honesty and vulnerability, I've been anxious for this particular night for a long time. And um, to deal with this particular verse that we're going to deal with tonight. And um, again, like I said, when we started this series, now in week three of marriage, relationships, and gender roles, I pray that you understand uh, my pastor's heart for you, uh, my love for you, my um, desire to journey with you, my hope that we would become uh, men and women on mission. I hope that you don't hear my challenge tonight, uh, especially to the men, as uh, harsh words uh, or difficult words, but rather words that I pray will come uh, straight from the Spirit of God that can grow each of us to become, uh, for men, uh, deeper men on mission, and for women, uh, deeper women on mission, and then together relationships on mission. Um, I hope that I don't always have to share that with you, but I pray tonight that you hear that, that you hear these words, particularly from a guy, from a pastor, from a punk, in a lot of ways, who just deeply loves for you and cares for you. And uh, I think that things have been um, pretty clear in the last couple of weeks of the call on women. Uh, first of all, uh, that women are to see and find their beauty and affirmation from the Lord Jesus and not from culture or world or some boy who tries to woo them with uh, meticulous words that sound articulate. I think that's been pretty clear, uh, hopefully to you women, um, that you're to uh, find your beauty and rest completely in Christ and not in some uh, boy uh, who claims to be a nice Sunday school, believing Jesus, believing um, young boy. I I think also it's been clear that um, you're to not settle women. You're to not uh, compromise uh, for um, someone uh, in the the form of a male, of the male species that... um, that affirms you in such a way that you've never been affirmed before, but does not press you towards the gospel. Uh, I, I think that it's been clear that, um, that you're not to compromise or to settle for those kind of men. And ultimately, many of you have already been hurt in devastatingly ways. In, um, your, your heart's been torn. Uh, many of you have a tremendous amount of, of uh, pain because of relationships where you were not equally yoked. You maybe were passionate about the gospel and your a boyfriend wasn't, and so it ended up leaving you in a worldful disaster. And I know some of you women have experienced that. I think the clear articulation of the scripture is that you're to not settle, but to celebrate the fact that you're a daughter of God, that you are a daughter of the one true God, the creator of the universe, the one who sent his son to redeem his people, that you know him and he knows you by name. Uh, that's a powerful word, females. And lastly, I think it's been pretty clear, uh, Peter states uh, very non-ambiguously that women are to submit, wives specifically, to submit to their husbands. Don't have time to wrestle with all of that scripture again with you, uh, but that was uh, clear. You can listen to the teaching on that on our podcast or on our website. Um, Tonight, though, we turn to uh, the dudes here tonight. Uh, How many dudes are here tonight? Got some. All right. Uh, Already we can see the difference in genders. Um, Women tend to be a little bit more vocal, so if I were to ask, are the females here tonight? There's a little bit of a shout-out, and the guys are somewhat confused and raise their hand. I'm not sure. I think I'm a guy. We'll see what happens. Um, the amazing thing, though, about tonight when you really uh, teach, especially to dudes, and I've already uh, mentioned to you that Peter spends six verses on the girls, 
and one verse on guys, and I think it's clear why. Uh, with the girls, it takes a little bit more discussion. It takes a little bit more caressing, if you will. For the guys, it just shoot it straight. Uh, let's, let's get to the point. That's what he does here. Um, but I think you'll find females that as much of uh, this teaching will be difficult for the men to hear, and for me included, uh, I think you'll find it equally as helpful um, because what's going to happen tonight is we're going to paint the picture of a godly biblical man. And so then in doing so, painting the picture of what you are to wait for and to not compromise until you find. And so I hope that for you females it's equally as encouraging. My first question, though, to the dudes is this. Where does your picture of masculinity come from? For you, where did you learn how to be a man? I know many of you uh, had strong fathers. And so for some of you, uh, the picture of your dad comes to mind. Some of you, your grandfather, like myself, had a, had a great dad as well. But my grandfather really taught me what it was to be a man. Others of you, it was some coach that pulled his shorts up tight and blew a whistle and yelled real loud, right? Uh, for some of you guys, it was, um, it was your mom. Some of you guys didn't have strong fathers or grandfathers, and so in many ways, you learned perceived masculinity from your mother. Um, that has its benefits at times, but also, as you can see, could be a detriment to you. Uh, some of you men have completely learned uh, how to be a man, in quotation marks, uh, from culture, uh, you've watched it, you've viewed it, and you imagine that being a man then is to act uh, as men do in our culture, and then you just emulate that. Uh, I think we could agree that we have a very misperceived idea of what it means to be a man. Uh, I think that many of you have a picture in your mind that I hope tonight uh, will be demembered. I hope tonight that we can journey through the scripture in such a way that we leave here um, not with the picture of uh, Maximus and Gladiator or William Wallace and Braveheart, but rather of Christ. And uh, I think that we, um, oftentimes as guys, in these moments, uh, we want to appear stronger than we are. So we puff out the chest a little bit, we get a little bit defensive, but I would be willing to bet that most of you guys in here are extremely insecure. Women, I'm not sure if you've learned this about us, but in generally we put on a lot stronger than we really are. Underneath the mask and the facade and the puffed out chest and sometimes, although not for me, the big biceps, is there's underneath that core a deep amount of insecurity. Uh, we're fearful. In fact, many of you men in here, boys, are cowards. Uh, many of you boys are hiding under the cowardice of pornography. Uh, you're turning to it and that's feeding some cowardice piece of you that doesn't want to seek Christ and seek a biblical woman. And so you cower underneath that shame. It's interesting tonight how many of you uh, men walk in here and you're completely confused about who you are because you're, uh, and rather than sitting underneath the grace of Christ, you've come in here with a tremendous amount of shame because of the sexual sin that you have participated in or are participating in now or because of the ways that you've been chasing manhood in all kinds of ways that aren't true biblical manhood. I think for many of you men in here, that uh, I think if we were to just to look right through you, we would see a coward. One that's putting on the strong front, one that says, hey, I'm a man, look at me. Uh, but ultimately is deep down wrestling with deep amount of insecurity. Women, I'm not sure if you know this about us, uh, but we're quite insecure. Um, we often need more approval and affirmation uh, than even you do, even though it appears like we don't. Our short conversations just mask the fact that deep down inside, uh, we really desire that affirmation. Um, so again, I, I don't uh, come to you tonight uh, wanting to um, just dwell on all of our negative aspects, although it will seem like it at times, or rather tonight we're going to teach the, the scripture and wrestle with a lot of tough things. And so I pray for you as a guy, your insecurities are laid bare tonight. Are you with me, guys? That that deep inward piece of you that is ultimately a coward, 
will reveal itself tonight. And that tonight, as a band of brothers, we can take a few steps forward. So ladies, would you uh, pray? Because I feel like uh, many of you women, you'll be tempted at some point to do the nudge, right? Oh, that's you, right? And you kind of give the under the pew nudge or the, the knee slap. My wife loves to do that. The under, under the table kick. Have you ever done that, wives? Right? Like they're talking about you. Uh, or the gaze, the look. I, I think uh, many of you women here tonight uh, will, will be, you know, tendency to kind of, you know, give the, you know, that's right, babe, that's you. Um, when you're tempted to do that tonight, females, could I ask you, rather than doing that, could you just pray that God would open up? Uh, if, you have, uh, if you're a wife here who has a husband sitting next to you, that you'll pray when you want to do the nudge? Uh, or if you're tempted um, to think as a female of all the guys that fit that category, because this is not about a judging men at this point, you see what I'm saying? That rather your heart would turn to prayer for the men in this room and for the men that you've experienced, okay? Are, are, we, are we together in that? So I want you to put up, uh, returning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We can put it up here on the screen, and uh, we're going to get going through this one verse where Peter uh, tackles biblical husbandry. Pretty sure I made that word up. Verse 7. Uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, uh, the likewise here, I don't want any of you to get confused, is not uh, husbands are to submit to your wives because that's what we've been talking about. The likewise here isn't uh, directed exactly to the previous context. Rather, it's we're talking about marriage and relationships, Peter says. So this now is like that. Are, we, are you with me? Nowhere in Scripture does the Scripture uh, tell the man to submit to the woman in the marriage. Okay, so it's not that likewise, but rather we're talking about relationships and he's continuing. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives is one of the biggest blessings of marriages. No longer do you have to live with your mom and your dad. No longer do you have to live with roommates in a sweaty, uh, sweet dorm room, okay? I can still remember for three years I stayed in this uh, very small room in my college campus with six other dudes, right? And we had a seventh guy who slept on our pink couch in the living room, right? Because in college you'll take whatever you can get, even if it's pink, right? It doesn't matter. And, I mean, just the smell and the stench and the, you know, especially for one particular room, I won't mention their names because I'm still friends with them, but there was just this, this stench. Well, well, living with a woman is an amazing thing. You know what I mean? Like, the, the opportunity to live with Heidi was such an upgrade, you know? Like, I went from mom and dad's house to the roommates to living with a gorgeous woman. This was unbelievable. She... She decorates in such a gorgeous way. She cooks chocolate chip cookie bars. How many of you have had my wife's chocolate chip cookie bars? Or the Scotcheroos holler, you know? I mean, living with this woman was beautiful. And, and I love the way Peter puts this here. Listen, although he's not building a doctrine of cohabitation, or rather the opposite of cohabitation, uh, he's stressing the fact that living with and the Greek word there implies dwelling with your wife is a complete blessing because you're journeying with her. The living there implies journeying. I'm living with someone now. I think biblically we could clearly make the case, even though culture doesn't agree, that cohabitation leads often uh, and most often uh, to nothing but pain and sorrow. So I would argue that living with your wife or your husband is reserved for marriage. And I would also argue with you that it is a tremendous blessing. I think some of you singles, you hear so much uh, 
banter in the negative sense about marriage. Let me tell you, yes, it's tough, yes, it's rough, and you'll hear more about that tonight. But it's beautiful, isn't it, married couples? I think so often, uh, those of you who are dating or in college or single, whatever, you're like, I, I never want to get married. Like, you know, my, my strings are, the noose is around. No, living with a woman from a man's perspective is amazing. And culture views the wedding ceremony as not vows, but hopes. And that's what really gets me about this picture is our culture has devalued the wedding so much that vows and words that are shared are just mere hopes. And oftentimes the couple stands before the pastor and the people that are there and they're just hoping that it will work out instead of, I can't wait to live with this woman for the rest of my life. The point is this. Why would you ever settle for anything less than the picture that the Bible portrays of a biblical man or woman when you're going to be living with them for the rest of your life? Have you ever thought about that before? Years and years and years. My grandparents were married for 50 plus. The one that you will marry in not the the cultural word form, but in the covenant form, you will live with them until you die. And so wouldn't you then not want to compromise, but rather found that person that's enjoyable to live with? Well, Mark, how can, you, how can you know that if you don't live with them previously? That's exactly the point of this entire context. You know that by their pursuit of Christ. You don't need to live with someone to see their heart for Jesus. And when their heart is passionate for the gospel and for Christ, then living with them makes you a partner in ministry, a partner in the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? So when you're encouraging even some of your Christian friends at times who are examining the idea of cohabitation, could you encourage them? You don't need to live together to see the gospel lived out. Are you with me? But the scripture says this, live with them in an understanding way. (laughs) This cracks me up. Um, there's been movies made about men trying to understand women. And, uh, right? and uh, even more interestingly enough, the Greek word here, understanding, and I think uh, some of you uh, will appreciate this, the Greek word is gnosis. Everyone say that with me, gnosis. And it means knowledge. So I'm to live with my wife in a knowledgeable way. And if you're a dude and you're like me, you're like, so how, how does that work? How do I live with a woman in a knowledgeable way? Well, I'm going to show you a few things here on how that looks like. How does a man attain knowledge about women uh, slash his wife? Because this doesn't just pertain uh, to marriage. This also pertains to dating and single. The first thing is this. Uh, it has to be learned. Um, I think some of you uh, men who are married, you think that you can gain the knowledge that you need to know about your wife by simply sleeping next to them in bed. And oftentimes in marriages, that's what happened. We're both living under the same roof, but we're not really living together. We're kind of cohabitating, but we're not one because life has taken over. To live with your wife in an understanding, knowledgeable way, it has to be learned. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And as a dude, I think you know, women, you just, they're hard to get. I've been married to my wife for eight years. We've been dating since 1996, making me extremely old, right? And there are, there are still moments when I'm looking her in the eye and I'm like, I don't understand you, you know? 
Like, why are you crying now or laughing now or doing, I don't get you, right? And it's in those moments that I love her all the more. Why? Because of number two. It is learned through daily, passionate pursuit. The only way that you become more knowledgeable about women or about your wife is you daily, passionately pursue them. And men, let's just be honest, if you're lazy, this is the first thing to go. The pursuit, the chase, is the first thing that gets taken out of the relationship. Because it's way too hard. It takes way too much intentionality to daily, passionately pursue my wife. Or if you're a man pursuing a woman, it is so difficult once you've caught her to continue to pursue her because you feel what all men want, what? Victory. All men deep down inside, no matter what it is, whether you're stinking playing checkers or football, most men want to win. We want victory. And the moment we sense victory, we sense that we've caught the woman, we sense that we've chased her, and she has said, yes, I desire for this relationship to happen, we quit. We've won. Game over. That's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is, for lack of a better way of saying it, the game is never over. The pursuit is never to be done. The chase is never to be quenched. Are you with me? Uh, so, uh, women that are married in here, do you feel chased? Do you feel like your man continues daily to passionately, and I, I put passionate on there for a reason, to chase you, right? That he's texting you wanting to know your heart. That he desires to know the deepest depths of your, of your existence. He wants to know your struggles and your joys. Women, do you feel chased? And I think for some of you women, even who are dating, you would say, well, well, well yeah, maybe, maybe I feel chased. Like maybe I feel like he's affirming me or that he's seeking after me. But can I, can I tell you this? Him chasing you is not enough. You can't just settle for a man that chases you. He must be chasing after Christ. As Christ is pursuing him, he's seeking after the Lord. And it's when those two chases meet that we see a beautiful picture. You see him pursuing you passionately. You see him chasing after God passionately. And when those two chases meet, that could be a godly biblical man that you should say, man, like maybe this guy could lead me. Are you with me? Amen. I think for most of us, we struggle with communicating with our wives in such a way that um, we don't even know where to start. Uh, Heidi and I have two kids and another on the way. And there are nights um, after the kids go to bed and, we, and we're sitting there and we're just like looking at each other like, you want some ice cream? You know, like, that, like we're, we're just so exhausted. And the thing that I keep learning is my wife yearns for verbal intimacy. She yearns for that intimacy that's not physical, but, that, but that's verbal. She yearns for me to pursue her daily in a way where she could sit back and say, Mark desires to see the depths of my heart. And it's in those moments, men, even though it doesn't come natural to us, like, as dudes, we're like, hey, what's up? Good, good to see you. All right. And we feel like we're best friends, right? For women, it doesn't work that way. 
It takes more time. It takes more wooing. It takes more understanding. It takes more sitting and actually listening, men. Stop talking to your wife or your woman when the TV's on or when you're looking at the internet. Start talking, looking eye to eye. Passionately pursue them. Start giving the phone calls daily that shows her that you really desire to not just communicate and do the facile thing at the end of the day. So, honey, how was your day, right? You come home from work, guys, and you see your woman, and what's the first, how was your day? Good, good, great, good to see you, and we're on our way. A passionate pursuit. Unbelievable. And thirdly, as he learns, the knowledge is applied to lead his wife towards Jesus. At, listen, as I learn about Heidi, as I begin to understand Heidi, even though I will never fully understand, trust me, right? I learn how to better lead her towards Jesus. And listen, listen, this is so beautiful. This is why I want to pursue her. Not so that we can be physically intimate, although that will happen. Not so that we can experience relational intimacy. I pursue her so I can better lead her towards Christ. And that comes first. And everything else under the relationship comes after. Are you with me? That is when a relationship gets beautiful. I chase, I pursue, so I can better lead you towards Christ. That's why I'm chasing you. That's why I'm pursuing you. Because you are so gorgeous, both spiritually and physically, that it, it helps me understand how I can lead you better, Heidi, for me and for whatever it is in your context, towards the cross. I know for some of you this sounds so idealistic. You're like, Mark, how, how do we ever get there? This sounds, so, this sounds so above where we're at. But isn't it worth going after? See, for many of you, just like your wife or your woman, you've stopped pursuing Christ. And so this doesn't even begin to resonate because you have no idea what the chase even feels like. Again, you're sitting behind a computer chasing a pornographic image that ultimately will provide for you what you need in that instant. We did a research of the biggest high school here in uh, St. Charles County two years ago, and I shared this percentage before, but the percentage of high schoolers was that 80% of those high school boys had looked at pornography that week, 80%, 80%. You won't pursue your wife and women if you're not feeling chased and pursued. I would have great questions about why. Is it just that he's lazy? Is he just lazy and ask? Or have you just gotten lazy? Like, wh- why aren't you chasing me anymore? Because you're not leading me well towards Christ, so we can't ch- you, you're not chasing me. Is it because you're chasing a computer screen? Is it because you've become so content in some video game that there's no need to chase me anymore, right? For some of you dudes who are growing in age and you're still playing video, video games religiously, I'm not saying once in a while, but you're religiously sitting behind a computer screen playing video games, it appears like that's what you're chasing more than anything else. We are to live with our wives in an understanding, knowledgeable way. And as we learn more about them, we learn how to better lead them towards the cross of Christ. And if you're dating now, and you're a woman, this is what you're waiting on. You're waiting on a man to chase you after you see him chasing Jesus. And when those two mesh, then you have something to talk about. And for those of you that are married here, tonight you go home, and if you're a woman, you say, babe, 
How do you feel like you're doing chasing me? How do you feel like you're doing pursuing me? Because if you want to learn about me, that's the only way it's going to happen. Now, Peter goes on uh, brilliantly. Put, this, uh, put verse 7 back up for me. A husband, a likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Uh, some of you men have been waiting for this passage. You've been reading this. You've been like, sweet. Mark's going to talk about women being the weaker vessel. And you think of it as some, some kind of submarine, like a vessel, right? Uh, listen, the picture here of Peter, and let me just, let me just teach this clearly. Uh, the picture here of Peter is not as women not being equal under the grace of Christ. In fact, we'll get there here in a second. But the picture in general, in general, because of course there's, uh, what, what was the old show, Gladiators or whatever, you know, American Gladiators, where some women were like, you're way stronger than I am, right? Stop working out, actually, uh, right? In general, women are physically weaker, What Peter is escalating here is those boys, listen, who manipulate. There's some of you even here who are married and you still manipulate your woman to get what you want. You've still learned in a knowledgeable way, in a a what you perceive as understandable way. You've learned how to manipulate with words and gifts and service in such a way that you get what you want. Because the woman physically is is a weaker vessel. Listen, Some of you, listen, some of you grew up in homes where you saw your dad beat your mom. Some of you grew up in homes where you listened to your parents scream the ugliest words at one another. And so some of you, now in your relationships, at times struggle, men, with the physical action. And I'm not saying that you abuse your woman, but you do certain bodily movements that indicate to her that, you, that, you're, that you're angry. You, you make a, a punching, a punching uh, motion towards her even though she's 20 feet away. You beat on the wall. You kick the car. Whatever it may be, you manipulate utilizing the fact that the woman is a weaker Physically in general. This is what Peter's escalating. He says, men, stop manipulating women. Honor them. This is amazing to me. He pulls out the word honor. So just when you thought that Peter was like putting men way up here and women way down here, he throws in the brilliant word honor. Greek, tena, which literally means, listen, reverence. Revere your woman, Peter says. Revere her. Honor her. I'm no Captain Obvious, but when I was on the honor roll, the reason why they call it honor roll was because we got a little bit better grades than the rest. And so they're saying that there are some that get better grades. So to honor your wife, listen, is to put her above yourself. Men, this kicks us right in the gut. Are you putting your woman in marriage, and I would even propose in the dating relationship, above yourself? The way I'll phrase this is to honor your woman is to consistently consider what does Heidi need right now? How will Heidi perceive the way that I'm acting right now? 
What will Heidi need tomorrow from me that maybe I hadn't planned? How can I communicate with Heidi better right now? To honor your wife or your woman is to constantly consider. I'm not thinking of myself. In fact, I'm lessing myself. What I am thinking about is how everything will affect Heidi. How can I better serve her now? How can I better love her right now? What do I need to do right now to be a better father so that she can take a break? All of these things I'm constantly considering. That is a man that honors his woman. I'm not saying I do that, at least well. And I'm saying, confessing to you as a husband, that there are often times I'm waiting for her to consider me greater. When will you treat me the way that I want? That is anti-gospel. If we desire to be men on mission men riveted by the gospel, then we will follow Jesus who put others above himself, even as the king of the universe. Are you with me? So women, if you're in here and you're waiting for a man, that, guess what? That's what you're waiting on. You're waiting on the chase and the pursuit of Christ and of you, and you're waiting on a man that considers your needs at all costs. He's wondering about me. He's considering me. He's asking me questions in such a way. And for those of us dudes right now that are married, I tell you what, we need to take a big step back and ask God to reveal our insecurities and show us how we we are considering ourselves much more than anyone else. How will me being gone affect my wife? I always think about that. How will this meeting affect her? How will me getting up early change her schedule in such a way that it will not help her pursue Christ? One of the ways, and again, I fail all the time, Heidi texted me after the women's retreat this past weekend, and she said, Mark, I need a Bible. You know what I did? When your wife tells you she wants a Bible, you buy her one. Within five minutes, I was on Amazon. I was like, Bible, wife, this will be awesome, you know? Today, she got it. Heidi, you got, you got it here with you? It's at home. All right. <laughs> I knew it. But I'm considering the way I can be gracious to you. I love you, honey. I'll buy you another one. I know you didn't like the burgundy. I'll get you a black one. I'm sorry. Right? When you consider your woman above yourself, listen, let me just talk to the woman for a second. And then, guys, it's going to be a long night the rest of the night. But um, women, is this what you've been waiting on? So, So can I ask you, why would you give in for anything less than this? Why would you just settle for a dude who desires to serve himself by putting you on his side like so many men do? You become a trophy girlfriend or wife. And not in the sense of like some business guy, you know, taking you to some business meetings. But for many dudes, they use you to build their self-esteem when they're around other people. Listen, I want to see your man chase you when no one else sees. I want to see a man that goes after his woman when there will be no accolades from anyone else. Because it'd be easy right now for me to walk back there to Heidi, to roll out the red carpet, to bring a dozen roses at Lot Family to treat her nice. But we all know what happens when everyone leaves and when we're not at church, when we're not not seen in the public eye, guess what happens? Then we start biting We start talking in ways that aren't honoring and understanding to one another because then no one sees. That is a a bunk idea of what biblical relationship can be. Are you with me? 
you want to be with a man, and man, you need to be a man that is consistently considerate. Peter goes on. We are uh, to, to do this because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This escalates what we talked about a few weeks ago in Galatians. The Galatians passage was Jew or Greek, male or female, we are all under grace the same. Even though, like I mentioned, guys probably need grace a little bit quicker, right? Because of how much we do sin, we are all at equal playing field underneath the grace of Christ so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here we are to the part of the verse that we've never talked about before. Because we've, listen guys, we've all heard, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We've all heard, wives submit to your husbands. We've all heard, uh, husbands, honor your wives. But have you ever heard, if you don't do that, your prayers will be hindered? The criticalness of this teaching then all of a sudden rises. What Peter says crazily is that if your marriage does not resemble a biblically called marriage, honor, consideration, love, grace, mercy, then your prayers will be hindered. And then you picture a husband who grabs his wife's hand out of duty and begins to pray. For his family at dinner when all day long he is cussed, he is not served, he has been selfish, but he plays the God card so that he, it appears like he is spiritually leading. When what Peter says is those prayers are completely hindered. Why? Because our marriages, listen, are to represent the romance of Christ in the church. And this is why God, through Peter and Paul especially, heighten the understanding of biblical marriage. It is to represent the romance of Christ in the church. How are we to learn about a marriage if Jesus wasn't married? Well, hold on, I, I read on Wikipedia that maybe Jesus was married. Listen! He was married and is married to the church and we're waiting in revelation for that return when God walks the church down the aisle, bride wearing white, unites her with Christ. That romance of Christ in the church is what we are to look to. And if our marriages do not look like that, then what Peter says is our prayers are hindered men. Your prayers at times are yielded ineffective because Christ looks down as the high priest and says, you're going to pray that to me when all day long you've been backbiting your wife, serving yourself, and yelling, screaming at your kids? It doesn't work like that. It's the same way I mentioned two weeks ago. You want to just sexually be intimate before marriage and then somehow think that you have a Christ-focused relationship? They don't go hand in hand. The flesh and the spirit are intention. This is this picture. If you desire to have a gospel-focused marriage, then guess what? The blessing is that your prayers are heard, and as 1 John says, answered and heard because they're prayed in the will of God. But I think many of you men have become so conceited and cowardice 
that you sit underneath the premise of, I know I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader, so spiritual leader button go. Let's pray, family. This will look good to my wife. All right, God, and I'll even read a Bible story to my daughter just to make everyone feel kosher when deep down inside I'm completely worshiping myself. Now, where this applies to the dating and to the single is this is how you are preparing yourself now. This is all of your time focus. You're focused on the fact that one day you're going to live with someone for the rest of your life until they or you die. And you as a man are going to have the opportunity to lead them towards the cross of Christ with prayers unhindered because of the power of the gospel. And so now you have the blessing of preparing yourself for that, waiting for that, and asking God for that. And anything less than that is a bunch of Christian men who give the appearance that everything is all right, but they go home and it's disaster. This was the way in my church growing up. Everyone sat in the same pew every week, wearing the same stupid smiley face. And and then when you would watch people fail, they would still show up at church, sit in that same pew, sing the same hymn, and make the same smile as we pass the peace when you knew deep down inside that marriage was hurting and they weren't willing to ask for help. Some of you marriages and dating relationships and singles tonight need to ask for help. Plead for help. It's gotten so bad, again, married, dating, or single, that it's, it's time to let the church be the church and most importantly, Christ be Christ. So ask for help. Don't sit there and act like your marriage is all together when we all know it's, we're all struggling in this together. So for me, I sit back and I ask the question, so what is a biblical man then? General, not married, not dating, not, just biblical man. What is a biblical man? Is it William Wallace? Is it Maximus? Is it Bill Cosby, Right? not even sure why I said that, right? Just went with it there, right? What is a biblical man? I believe, and I hope you do too, our only picture is Jesus. You're like, well, he was a God man. He clearly had a leg up on everyone. Okay, but he came to portray who God was in the form of a God man, and some will say, well, he was just a weak, feeble man on the earth. Really? Is that your picture of Jesus? Because unfortunately, uh, for you who perceive that, the scripture says when he returns, he's coming and a sword is going to come out of his mouth. Men, did you hear that sword? We like swords, right? Like, oh, right on, sword, I'm with that. So listen, men, I want to show you five aspects of Jesus that will reveal to each of us what a biblical godly man is. The first is this. Jesus had a clear gospel purpose. His purpose from the moment he arrived was to die. No person, no culture, no Satan deterred him from that purpose. He was clear. There was no ambiguity. Here is my vision. Here is my purpose. I am here to glorify the Father. I am here to be obedient. Man, is that your purpose tonight? Or are you still sitting around wondering, I'm not sure what my call is on this world. It's to glorify Christ in every aspect. 
A true gospel focus. A man on mission. Nothing will detour me from revealing the love of Christ. Nothing. Man, that's your mission. As a man of God, that's what it looks like. Nothing will take me from the gospel. It's me and Jesus. Me following Christ all the days of my life. That is a man on mission. That is a gospel focus. And that's what we see in Jesus. Peter's like, hey, you don't need to suffer. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. I'm a man on a mission. And I'm headed to the cross to die. Because that's what God told me to do. Are you with me? I want to see more men who start saying, that's what God told me to do. Well, how do you know? Because I read it in the scripture. Because I read it in the word of God. And that's what he told me to do. And so, you know what? That's what I'm going to do because God told me to do that. I'm going to stop having sex. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to stop judging everyone I see. Why? Because that's what God told me to do. Because I'm a man on mission. But, But I'll fail, Mark. I know that's when we as men on mission escalate the cross. We need Jesus. We need the cross. And so in your failure, you get the chance to talk about Jesus. Oh, God, I need you. Does that mean we sin? No. Paul says, go in, uh, don't, uh, shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. But in the moments we do fail, the moments we don't look like Jesus, we point to the cross. But I'm saved by grace through faith. Oh, the gospel. Secondly is this. We really struggle with this. Jesus had an expressive love of others. So, Mark, are you telling me that we got to cry now or something, you know? I think men were so afraid to expressively show our love. Problem is when we see Christ weeping for Lazarus, uh, when we see Christ engaging the widow, uh, when we see Jesus pleading with the disciples, to, to wake up and pray. We see passion. We see emotion. We do not see a stoic Jesus. We see a, a Jesus who expressively showed his love. One of my favorite stories, when he sees the woman, and I've talked about it before here, he sees the woman whose only son has died. He walks across and says, woman, do not be afraid. He expressively shows his love. Men, it's time that we break the misnomer that somehow we're just to be stoic. Man, stick the chest out, clear face. I'm not going to... It's time to break that misnomer. We reveal that we love by expressing it. Obviously, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a heart issue, but it's time we start doing that, affirming one another, encouraging one another. But I'm not a big encourager. We just blame things on our personality rather than desiring to be Christ-like. Why do I, I have a hard time expressing my love? The perfect man in Christ showed us what expressing love is to look like. And so for those of you hard men who feel like that the only way for you to express yourself is just to get in some corner, man, it's time that we reveal the deep love of the gospel that's transformed our heart by expressively loving others. I'm not talking about we start busting out the streamers that say, I love everyone, and we wear the bracelets, and we start just giving everyone a hug. That's not the point. But the point is we start coming out of this hard-hearted shell this image that we have of a man, and we start affirming and encouraging one another and leading people by example in that way. Thirdly, Jesus had a complete reliance on the word of God. Uh, men, if you're looking to be a biblical man or, or uh, women, if you're seeking a godly man, one of your first questions uh, should be when you date, and this is my honest opinion, uh, so tell me what you think about Romans chapter 5. 
So how do you feel about, um, how do you feel about 1 John when John's talking about love? So tell me about what you think about Abraham's call in Genesis 12 in the beginning of the covenant. Those, those should be some of your first conversations, right? And he's like, well, well like, what do you mean? Like in 1 Obajirah, right? If any man says 1 Obajirah, you're done, right? Just leave, walk out, right? Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan, what does he do? What does he do? He quotes the word of God. Yes, Mark, but he like wrote the word. He quotes the word of God. He reveals his ministry, his life was going to be reliant on the word of God. That is a man on mission. That is a true man of God. That is a man, not a boy. You cannot be a man if you are not reading the scriptures. I think that you think somehow you can misperceive yourself into thinking that. Oh, I can be a man if I just do this, if I just do this. What begins to make you a man is the word of God. You will not, cannot, will not ever be a man unless you dig into the scriptures because this reveals the true power of what the gospel does in a boy making him a man. And so men, if we're not in our closet, then we're not, we're not men. We're players, we're actors, we're masqueraders. Jesus showed his reliance on the word of God and to be a man, you must too. And so women... You do not date a dude who has no clue about the scriptures. Well, what if he knows John 3.16? Really? Come on. The dude at the ball games knows John 3.16. You know what I'm saying? You wait on a man that can articulate for you the significance of the covenant in Genesis 12 and how that set up the picture of Jesus. Well, Mark, that seems pretty hardcore. Yeah, Jesus was too. That's what I love. Number four, a discerning boldness. Now, men, you should enjoy this. Uh, and this is the classic story, right? Jesus walks in at the temple. What does he see? The money changers, and they've made a, made a mess of things. What does he do? Chucking and ducking, right? Right? He's taking tables. He's flipping them. He's like, sweet. So Mark said, right, when I get chapped, I can just start chucking and ducking. The key word here is discerning. A discerning boldness. He, he picked his battles discerningly, fought some battles, and, and then another time in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter wasn't discerning well his boldness, gets out a sword, cuts off Malchus's ear. What, is, what does Jesus do? He looks at him like, what are you doing? We are going to live and die by the sword. We will not. I'm on my way to die. I'm a man on mission. And he heals Malchus's ear right there. This is the war picture in us, a discerning boldness. Yes, fighting some battles with a discerning, loving heart. Are you with me? That's what it is. And so men, you discern. You discern your boldness. Are you at times to be the William Wallace sitting on his horse saying, let's go now? Yes, of course. Especially for your family, especially for your wife, especially for your women. And are there other times when you're to sit back and to turn the other cheek? Obviously, that's why the scripture just said that we're to submit to the government even when it doesn't make sense. We have a discerning boldness. And then my favorite piece of Jesus, number five. Self-sacrifice. A godly biblical man will self-sacrifice. Jesus comes to die. He obediently follows the call. And he goes to the cross. And can I tell you and remind you how that drastically impacted his followers? You know what they did then as well? Self-sacrifice. 
because they saw Jesus and they saw every other man in culture and they made a decision about who a man was. Men in here, I'm asking you to make that same decision. You see this picture? This isn't natural. This seems so countercultural. You look at this picture and then you walk out there at random man McGee and you make your decision. Which man do you want to follow? Which man for you is the biblical man? Which man for you is going to be your example? Your father, your grandfather, all of them failed. He didn't. This is our picture. This is it, men. And so you give up your porn-ridden life. You get a man on mission. You discern boldness. You self-sacrifice always. As a husband, your wife is held in honor to be respected, cherished, and loved. And like Christ did with his disciples, though he came to die and then raise again as the one true king, he's on his knees washing their feet. That is a biblical man. When can we start showing that? Pride is crippling us. Our own ego is stifling us. Men, it's time to reveal true men of valor by men who are hunkered down in the word of God and are ready and willing to self-sacrifice at every given moment. That is a man. We need help. I look at this and I'm just like, this is impossible. It would be much easier if we were just to say, Just go win some football games. Just be the top of your organization. Just make sure when you go home that there's food on the plate and your wife slaps you a high five and says, thanks for the paycheck. That's what a man needs to be. No. When will the man come home from a long day at work and say, honey, I'm here to serve you. Kids, come here. Let me love you and cherish you. How can I lead and serve you tonight? That's the picture of the gospel. And so women, you settle for nothing less. And men tonight, you look at a cultural man and you look at Jesus and you make your call. And you make the call. Because many of you men will still sit in cowardice on the stinking fence and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing men just sitting on the fence, unwilling to make a call because their their fear of failure. They don't want to make a call. They don't want to make a decision because they're afraid that they're going to fail. And and they're so fearful that if they fail, that everyone will then look down on them. Make a call. Is it Jesus or is it culture? You make the call tonight. And women, you start pleading that the men in this room make the right call. What I love about all this In the greatest portrayal, listen, in the greatest portrayal of what a true man is, as God, Christ, is eating with his disciples. And he knows, he knows that there will be massive temptation for them to sink into their pride, for them to make the movement about themselves. Do you see? Jesus is gone now. Hey, guess what? My name is Peter. I'm pretty awesome. Let me tell you about someone cool. And it becomes all about Peter, no? For Peter to get the gospel, it had to be all about Christ. Peter had to become a man on mission. And so he breaks the bread. 
And he said, this is my body. My body, not your body, Peter. Even though you will self-sacrifice, it doesn't mean what my death will. Do you, do you, do you, are you with me, church? So he breaks the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. As God, as a godly biblical man, as your example to masculinity, take and eat. Then he held up the cup. It's this blood, men, that allow us tonight to sit in all of our failure and to say there's hope. And men in here, that's the power of the gospel. Though prideful, though stricken by ourself, there is hope. And that's what I love. And so then the women can stop degrading the men, but rather praying for them. And men, we can start celebrating the blood. He holds up the cup and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And this cup represents my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. As we um, close up this three-week journey, I want to say one last thing. When my grandfather died, and many of you know the story, he, uh, he was dying of cancer and brings me in the room. And uh, I read a passage of scripture, and I'm not going to go into the whole story. But his last words on this earth were, now you go and be that man. And he was commissioning me in the gospel. And all my life, I've just been trying to be that man. And more and more men, what I realize is I cannot be that man. But he was that man for me. I cannot be a man on gospel purpose, but he was. I cannot self-sacrifice, but he did. And so as a man, I sit back and I say, I only have Jesus. And then, interestingly enough, I'm a man. Tonight, I invite you to respond by taking this meal. And Matt, Jeff, and I are going to serve you. And I think we have a lot to repent of tonight, to think about, to dwell on. And when you make this walk up here to take this meal, what I'm asking is when you make this walk, will it be, I am a daughter of God, and so I take the meal? And will it be, I'm a man of God, and so I take the meal? Let's say together as we begin to respond the Lord's Prayer as it's up on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's say that again together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.